Amen. I do invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're returning here to this study that Pastor Brian began a little over a month ago, maybe, and we've had a few weeks off. And so just a little, little recap of where we've been. Um, Paul writes to Timothy this letter to encourage him in the face of false teachers. And really, that is the main theme of this book. Paul is going to actually work back and forth between false teachers and then what is to be that godly conduct in the household of God. And then he's going to return to false teachers and then go back to godly conduct in the household of God. And so in verse 3 from a few weeks ago, we heard of Paul's charge to Timothy to devote himself to the truth over against false teaching and that there are those in the church committing false errors. But then Paul then kind of takes a break and shows the power of the gospel. And and really, this is set up against false teaching. So Paul looks at himself as that chief of sinners, the one who... For, for God's sake, in his own blindness, he persecuted the church, he took the lives of others, and he was a blasphemer, but yet the gospel is powerful enough to change and transform, whereas false teaching can do none of that. False teaching cannot transform a life. False teaching only adds harm. And so then he returns in what is before us this morning, verses 18 to 20. And so if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, let us hear now the word of God. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of the faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. At the very heart of the theme of this passage is the reality of spiritual warfare. If you were to wake up every morning grasping the reality that Satan desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, what would change about your day? That's the question that has been kind of plaguing my mind throughout this week Remembering three things that the Lord Jesus taught his disciples in his earthly ministry. And one is the reality of spiritual warfare. We read this in Luke 22. You remember there on the night in which Jesus is betrayed, he gathers his disciples before him. And he he begins this conversation with Simon, Simon. But when he says that Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, that that word you, that's plural. And so in a sense, you you have Jesus who knows all things, gathering his people, and he says, look, Satan desires to have all of you, that he may sift you. 
Now, Peter, for you specifically, singularly, you're under a particular attack right now, and you're going to deny me. So the first thing that Jesus teaches us is that spiritual warfare is a reality. But the second thing he teaches us is that as believers, as Christians, there is, there is a way to combat that. And even as his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, part of that prayer is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so there, there is a wisdom of not walking into temptation, but also the confidence that if we find ourselves there and we all, we are all tempted all the time, there is a way of escape. The Lord can deliver us and in Christ there is that hope. But then he also taught his disciples that in the midst of this sobering reality, but also these tactics that you may employ, I want you to remember this, Jesus says, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we don't live in this life in abject fear of Satan. We're aware, we're vigilant, we are to be conscious but it's Jesus who is greater. It's Jesus who has overcome Satan and sin and even our flesh. And so we come here to 1 Timothy. And what's going on in 1 Timothy is, is an episode of what one aspect of spiritual warfare looks like. It doesn't just touch us as individuals, it also affects us as a, as a church. And, and there's going to be particular advice, encouragement here for church leaders. But it's also a letter that's for the church and that we all have to be aware of. It's not just elders or deacons that are susceptible to temptation or to false teaching or to a bad conscience. It's, it's all of us. And so how do we approach this? You have Timothy, a young minister here in Ephesus, and, and we know in other places that Timothy is, is timid. He, he, he's not like Paul. In every way. It's his tendency to maybe shrink back. And Paul has to tell him, look, look, remember when you were ordained. Remember when they laid hands on you. At that time, there were prophecies about you, about your ministry, about, about who you are. Remember that. Because now's the time that you need to remember that. And Timothy, I know, I know that your ministry is tough. And so later in this book, he's going he's gonna to basically say, Timothy, you're getting beat up here. Take a little wine for the stomach's sake. Get back out there because the punches are going to keep coming. He, he doesn't tell him that, look, if you just, if you just stand up one time, it's all going to go. No, it's, they're going to keep coming. And there are going to be those, Timothy, who, who don't like you, but remain steadfast. 
Because this is why we toil and strive, not to get people to like us. But he says, Timothy, this is why we toil and strive, because our hope is in the living God. And it's that God who is able to change people. It's that God who is able to save. It's that God who's able to transform. So Timothy, go back out in the ring, take your licks, and keep on trucking. Because we're in this battle together. So what I want to consider this morning is just three observations from these three verses. Very simply put, but very sobering and for us all. Number one from verse 18, Christians are called and equipped to wage the good warfare. This also means that we're not called to wage the bad one. There are bad battles that can take place in the church. In fact, from the false teacher's perspective, that's actually what you have. They're, they're waging bad battles. They're focused on genealogies, myths. If you go back to verse four of chapter one here, they promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God. In chapter two, he's gonna talk about, look, Hymenaeus, who we're gonna have to address here. Hymenaeus is someone who has rejected the resurrection. He's rejected truth, and he's also embracing these false patterns of life. And you know what he's doing? He's causing harm. He's causing harm to God's people. And, and, so, and so a bad battle is to focus on those things that are not essential, those things that divide, those things that tear down, those things that harm the faith, whatever that may be. Traditions, speculations, personal preferences. Even James has to address this in his epistle. Remember, James says, from, from whence cometh all of these wars among you? And he says, it comes from your pride. It's, it comes because you love yourself more than the body. But Paul says to Timothy, he's like, my child... In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, and again in chapter 4, he addresses that as taking place at his ordination. He goes, here's your command. Wage the good warfare. Your, your warfare is, is defending the stewardship that God has given you. It's defending the truth. It's defending what Paul has, has put forth in his own testimony that there is one God and this God has revealed himself in the word, and he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and this God is the one against whom we've all sinned. But this is the God who is sinned against, but is also the God who, who redeems. And so he says, this is the saying. This is what you have to embrace. This is what you have to hold dear to you, is that this Christ saves sinners. He has saved you, Timothy. He's redeemed you. So don't, don't move beyond the redemption that you have in Jesus Christ because that's not only what redeems you, that's what transforms you. That, that is what shapes your life, Timothy. And that is going to then shape the context of what is a good warfare. Don't bring other things into harm, the body of Christ. 
Many years ago in another state, there was a worship service and a, a song was sung, but it was sung with, with a new tune. And notice that throughout this song, there was a section of individuals in the congregation who folded their arms to protest this song, and they refused to sing it. And afterward, they began to address the, the wrongness of this tune, and it was an issue that the leadership had to address. And so, so for three weeks, one week of speaking to individuals over this tune, and then another week trying to meet and discuss, and then a, and then a session, three weeks over a tune that all admitted was reverent, was even appropriate. It wasn't even about the words. Great words, they said. But for three weeks, controversy spread through the congregation over a tune. And so Paul says, look, wage the good warfare. There are bad ones. Don't wage those. We all have our preferences. We all have certain things. That we... But may God give us grace to wage the good one. What builds up the body? What strengthens the body? What doesn't destroy the body? Well, how do we do that? Paul is going to tell Timothy in verse 19. Here we see, secondly... Christians engage in warfare by holding to a living trust in Christ and to a good conscience. This means what we believe and how we live matter. I think we all know on a basic level that, that wrong teaching or wrong belief leads to wrong behavior. But it also goes the other way. Wrong behavior can affect our beliefs. John Calvin made the observation that a bad conscience is the mother of all heresies. If I'm, if I'm walking in a way that I shouldn't, if I'm doing things that I know I ought not to do, and my conscience begins to make life miserable, Let's be honest, my options are really only a few. I can repent, avail myself of the means of grace, flee to Christ as Nate reminded us in Psalm 32, or I can tweak some things. So ah, God's not really that bothered by this. Well, what Paul wrote was so long ago, different culture, different time. We've, we've moved past that. And you can see that a bad conscience can all of a sudden start to mold what we believe to be true. And so Paul urges Timothy, look, when you're waging this warfare, look, you do it grasping onto the truth, this, this body of the faith. And you hold on to that and you lean into Christ with that act of trust. But 
Timothy also wage this war with a good conscience. Only Christ can give you a good conscience. And this is sobering. Sometimes doubts can arise, not on an intellectual level, but on a moral level. Sometimes we want something to either be true or not true. And this isn't often overnight. It's a slide. It's gradual. And this is why we must remain vigilant. I think I've told the story before. In Geneva Reform Seminary, where I used to teach, we would have chapel Monday through Thursday. And on Mondays, faculty would preach. Tuesday to Thursday, students would preach. And one Monday, my dad would come in, and I, 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 he read some passage. I don't even remember what it was. And, he, and all he said to the faculty and students was, he just said, you know, there's no sin save the unpardonable sin that a Christian under the right provocation is not capable of committing. Any sin. Sometimes I, I, I would never do that. Well, Let's go back to Peter. Satan desires to have you, Peter, that he may sift you as wheat. And, and Peter, I'm telling you, before this night is up, you're going to deny me three times. And remember Peter's response? Lord, I'm good. I will go to death for you. I will go to prison for you. Lord, it, you might want to consider these other guys here, but I'm fine. And we know how the story ends. I don't think Peter woke up that day. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to deny the Lord. Even Peter, when he was warned, I don't, think Peter, I don't think Peter was upset after he was warned. I said, you know what? I'll show him. Pressures come in. Fears come in. Circumstances come in. And look, let's all be honest. Like, we're all in this, right? Circumstances are hard and we can, it's so easy to justify. Well, this didn't go the way I wanted. God didn't answer my prayer. God didn't do this. Look, I've been there. I wish I could say I haven't. I was like, dear Christian. Wage the war holding fast to the faith in a good conscience. In Timothy, in this book, Paul will weave in what, what we need to do when we find ourselves at that place. There's always, there's always a way back. When we find ourselves falling, when we find ourselves under temptation, when we find ourselves feeling like, I don't know if there's a way to escape, there's always a way. Remember the story of Hosea. Hosea, this prophet, and God tells him, I want you to marry a woman, marry Gomer, who has a proclivity, a tendency to straying. And he says, look, Hosea, as it is with Gomer, so it is with Israel. As it is with you, so it is with me. And you see how this unfolds. And what does God then tell Hosea? Go get her back. There's always 
a way back. And Hosea goes and he gets Gomer and he brings her back home. And we remember, right, what God says, just as it is with her, so it is with you. And then he says this to the people, I will heal your backsliding. I will heal your wandering. I will clean you. I will wash you. There's always a way home. Dear Christian, hold fast. May I say a word to the children? You're going to grow up and you're going to feel and you're going to face many heavy temptations. And there's going to be pulls coming after you and and there's going to be this pull where if you don't go with the pull, then you're, you're different, you're weird. Dear Christian, resolve now, young child, to lay hold of faith and a good conscience. Because there's a lot at stake. And we see this thirdly and finally. The church is warned that rejecting a good conscience can lead to shipwreck. This means that we must not deliberately repudiate the faith because God's name is defamed and consequences are disastrous. So he tells Timothy, my my dear child, My son in the faith, wage this good warfare by holding faith in a good conscience. Then he says this, look, by rejecting this, this there is singular, so it's pointing back to the good conscience, but look, by rejecting this good conscience, some have made shipwreck of the faith. The word here, it puts in there, in the original, it's just the faith. We remember here even the book of Hebrews, right? Warning, warning the visible church, warning those in the assembly not to turn back. You remember the context there in in Hebrews, there's much persecution. It seems like life was good until we trusted Jesus, then we trust Jesus and everything's against us. I'm going back. And Hebrews says, don't go back. Don't. Keep pressing forward. Keep moving onward. Keep laying hold. And here, here we have two, Hymenaeus and Alexander. They've rejected the good conscience. They've scandalized the faith. And he says they made shipwreck. Hymenaeus, we learn in the next chapter, denied the resurrection, brought harm to the church. Alexander is going to make an appearance later, someone who by his deeds caused great harm to Paul. And Paul had to engage in discipline and that final step here of excommunication, handing them over to Satan. Tragic. It's for the peace and purity of the church. It's for the honor of Christ, but it's also for the restoration of Hymenaeus and Alexander. Notice the verbs there. He hands them over in order that they might learn not to blaspheme. 
What a sobering reality to, to reject the faith, to reject the good conscience, and to be, to be cast out of the church, right? Remember what the church is, right? Even in our confession, the church is the place of God's watchful, special protection and care and his eye. This is where he has ordained that all the benefits of grace, all the blessings that he bestows, the means of grace, it comes through the church. And they've been sent out into Satan's domain. Sobering, but for the purpose that they might wake up and come home. That they may come home. And later, Paul will say, look, these things take place that we all, that we as Christians, we all might take heed. Look, Peter, I've often wondered when Peter sat down to write his first epistle, if, if he never, he never forgot the night of that denial. Because remember, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you, and, and he, he, he didn't heed it. And then now, old Peter sits down with the quill and the parchment and says, Dear Christian, it's true. Satan is like a lion prowling, seeking whom he may devour. Dear Christian, trust me, I know. But I also know of the way home. And there he denies Jesus, and Jesus looks at him. That tender look. The look of one who's been denied, betrayed, harmed, but the look of a savior. And Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly. And what those next three days must have been like for Peter. And Jesus rises, right? And he gathers his disciples again and he says, "What, well, Peter, come take a walk with me. Peter, come walk with me. Just like Jose and Gomer going home, now Jesus and Peter, arm in arm. Peter, feed my lamb. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? What can Peter now say? All of his confidence is, Lord, you know all things. You, Lord, I have nothing upon which I can show you, but Lord, you know I love you. Then Peter, feed my lambs. Don't harm them. Don't harm them, Peter. Feed them. And may we see that how we live and what we believe matters not just for our own sake, but for the body. Or is that not the great deception of Satan? Remember, you've got, you've got Achan. He takes his goods, he hides them under a tent, and then they all lose. Look, Satan's going to tell us, look, no one knows. No one has to know. But he's a deceiver. And as the Puritan would say, don't fall for the bait because he hides the hook. But I want to end with good news. This is not an easy one today. 
But the good news is that God has given to us all that we need to wage the good war. He's given us the word. He's given us prayer. Again, look, pray daily, Lord, lead me not to temptation. Deliver me from this. Lord, I know right now I look at my circumstances and I know it's easy to justify because I've been wrong, but Lord, give me this side of Jesus who himself was wronged and yet remained faithful and redeemed us. The Lord's given you the means of grace. He's given you the sacrament here. We come to the, we're going to come to the table here in a moment. And Paul's going to tell us, look, at this table, examine yourself. Here, confess, but here, find, find the solace for your soul. Find the nourishment. You say, I'm weak, then come to the table. Here, you will be fed. You say, I'm not worthy. None of us are, but Christ is worthy, and in him, we find that worth to come. And you say, oh, Lord, this last week, I botched it. I did a lot of doozies, Lord. And he goes, well, I'm the God who forgives. I'm the God who restores. I'm the God who cleans. I'm the God who transforms. I'm the God who warms the heart that's cold. So dear Christian, let's come and feast and find our soul's nourishment. Let us pray.